Welcome back, everybody, to our special online bonus segment. We call it Lively Extra, when 30 minutes is just not enough. Let's re reset the panel. We have Wendy Schiller and Alan Fung and Ian Donis. Ian, we, uh, we kind of squeezed you out in the main program. We're talking national pro uh, politics, where the GOP is going to go, and also what, what we're looking for from President Biden. So what's on your mind? Yeah, I'm reading a fascinating recent history of the Republican Party by a former Politico reporter named Tim Alberta. The book's called American Carnage. Really interesting. And it makes the point of how there was a civil war in the Republican Party nationally, even before President Trump with the different Romney and McCain factions back in 2012. But President Trump put that civil war in the GOP on steroids. And I think the fallout in Rhode Island has been adverse for the cause of the civic interest because, uh, you know, we sure President Trump has a, a core of supporters in Rhode Island. They believe in him fervently. But I don't think he's really helping with the effort to build Republican represent, representation in Rhode Island. And as we know, Democrats have had lopsided, lopsided control of the legislature for a long time. Even people like George Nee, a stalwart Democrat, will say it's not good for either party to have such lopsided control. And those of us who've been around for a while can remember back in 2006, the main reason why Sheldon Whitehouse was able to defeat Lincoln Chafee for the U.S. Senate was due to the unpopularity of, you know, George W. Bush. So what happens with the Republican Party nationally does have fallout in Rhode Island. And, you know, it seems back in the 80s and 90s, the Rhode Island GOP was at its apex when it was uh, more a good government and reform party, electing people like uh, Susan Farmer, a former host of this show, and uh, so that's that's got to be a concern for Republicans nationally. But of course, there was a bright spot in the uh, for the GOP in the election of Mayor Fung's uh, spouse to the Rhode Island House. Alan, what does the local have to do? We've been talking about this for a very long time, almost going back to Don Kachiri when he got elected. And then he just he really wasn't doing a lot of the seed work that he needed to do to get to get to a point where you could veto a budget. I mean, and now it sounds like a pipe dream. But what locally are you hearing that, you know, because you're right in the middle of it. It's exactly what Ian was talking about. You got to, you know, build those seeds. And in Cranston, you know, we built up that seed because you might remember 12 years ago when I first took over, there wasn't a single Republican on that council. It was nine Democrats and everything was, you know, contentious at that time. Uh, but now over time, we've built up and not only have we held on to the mayor's office, we maintained the majority on the council, but we did it in a pro uh, progression. You know, I was able to get enough people at the start to preserve a veto and then ultimately grab, you know, a majority. And we've kind of done that. But the focus is exactly what Ian touched upon earlier on, making sure it's about good government, transparency, you know, reforms in certain areas, things that matter to individuals. And once you start building that on the local level, getting a ground because remember, we are the second largest city now. If you can do that in many cities and towns across Rhode Island, making sure that the policies you're putting in are relevant to the residents that you're serving, you can get more momentum and build it up. We already have, like I said, you know, a stable of younger, talented people in Cranston. We have some young, talented, diverse people uh, that we're trying to get into the state party. That's how we're gonna regroup and continue to build momentum statewide. Professor? Yeah, I think that's right. I think pointing out uh, Jessica Dula Cruz is a really good uh, example, and certainly your, uh, your spouse who pulled off a uh, an upset victory and, and did it with a lot of energy. 
Uh, and I think that's the future for the Republicans nationally. I, I do. I think they, they, their, their, their success in the national level for the House representatives nationally uh, in 2020 was based in part by recruiting uh, women. They ran 19 women for seats, for open seats, and they, I think they won 13 of them. And so they replenished their ranks that had been depleted in 2018 with women. You saw the Liz Cheney uh, situation. She's number three in the National Party in the House, voting to convict, uh, to impeach and to convict uh, President Trump, but keeping her position for now. And I think that's a signal uh, that the Republican Party understands they need women. You know, women are thought to be, you know, partisan gap, more Democrats, but a lot of suburban women are independent or they affiliate Republican, but maybe voted against Trump. There's a big opportunity, particularly if the Republicans, I think, put forward more talented women. What do you think about, um, Alan, the Richard Burr got censured by his local uh, party, Bill Cassidy, down in Louisiana? First of all, do you think President Trump should have been, that he should have been convicted? Uh, we knew that a lot of that wasn't going to happen just from the get-go because of, you know, the partisanship of what happens down in D.C. You know, a lot of the what I saw also was the Democrats using that as a fundraising tool to build up not only their coffers, but for the uh, national Democratic uh, committees that they have, both on the Senate and the uh congressional side. So, you know, that's one of the things that what happened, and I agree a lot with what Mitch McConnell said uh, during his speech. Oh, look, what we saw going on in that Capitol was downright, you know, for me, disturbing, disgusting, you know, having a Confederate flag going through the Capitol. Uh, and, you know, that trial brought out a lot of you know, the condemnation and, you know, the finger pointing that's going on. But for as a country is the heel, we've got to move on to this, uh, focus on, you know, where we can build together consensus to move the country forward, focus on the issues that we have to focus on. Ian? Well, you know, it, it's fascinating. The uh, potential disciplinary action with um, Liz Cheney and Marjorie Taylor Greene were, were playing out at the same time. And, you know, they're diametrically opposed. You know, Cheney was under fire from people in her own party for supporting impeachment. Marjorie Taylor Greene supports all these wild conspiracy theories and, and hateful things. And, you know, she was applauded by her fellow Republicans for being somewhat contrite while facing pressure. So that tells us a lot about kind of the dueling polarities within the National Republican Party right now and how national Republicans are uncomfortable with the idea of even excommunicating someone who engages in extremist rhetoric. Uh, Wendy, we have just about a minute left, a minute and a half. Talk about President Biden. He's come out of the blocks with, uh, out of the gates with uh, a lot of executive orders, unity versus trying to get this uh, stimulus package in. The first hundred days have some potential landmines. So how do you see him navigating well, that? He seems to have kept his focus on COVID and the vaccine. I mean, that's just the most important thing he has to do. And he's shown that he's willing to say, okay, I'll talk to you. I'll meet with Republican senators. But if you're going to block me, I'm using reconciliation. I'm using the power of the majority and I'm gonna use it to my fullest. You know, I'm gonna to try to give you the olive branch, but if you reject it, I'm not gonna wait three weeks or six, you know, three months. You know, the Obama administration, Obama tried it a number of times and frankly, he got outplayed and outmaneuvered by the Republicans and he felt burned by it. And Biden's, Biden just is a man in a hurry. 
he's just like, look, I don't have any time for this. The country has no time for it. I don't have time for it. Life is short. You know, we got to get it done. So whatever way I have to get it done, I'll get it done. So it's very interesting that he's a sort of Uncle Joe persona, but very willing to use any and all powers at his disposal to accomplish what he sees are the most important goals. Yeah, when you're 78, maybe life is short. We'll have to see. Folks, that is all the time we have. Thanks again, Wendy and Ian and Alan. Nice to have you. We'll have you back at some point. Folks, come back and join us next week as the Lively Experiment continues. We hope you have a great week.